You guys want to take your seats here, Proverbs 28. And uh, I don't know if uh, uh, Renee mentioned there with announcements too, if we, if we run out of those letters, we can always make uh, some more copies of those too. So Proverbs 28. All right, let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, uh, good to be here just on a uh, very sunny but cold January day. Thank you for the time. I ask for your blessing upon this. And uh, as always, Lord, you teach, we listen, and just go before this, Lord, in all ways, Lord, in your name. Amen. Proverbs 28. Two main points today. Two main points. And actually, we're going to be starting this chapter in verse 11. Verse 11 is the first main point that we're dealing with here. And it says in Proverbs 28, verse 11, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. Good verse there. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. In chapter 28, there's eight verses that deal with this concept of poor and rich. This is a pretty ongoing theme here. Now, when we talk about anything in Proverbs, there's usually a double meaning to it. And the double meaning to this is there's actually the physical side of having wealth and physically being poor. but There's also the spiritual side of having riches, and the spiritual side of being poor in Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about here for the first point this morning, is this idea of poor versus rich. Now, depending on your translation, verse 11 says a little bit different at the end. By New King James, says, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. New Living says, the real poverty is evident to the poor. NIV says, a poor man who has discernment sees through him. What this verse is saying is that even though someone may be poor in the eyes of the world, they see that the riches that the world has really is nothing. Have you ever been in that perspective? You've seen somebody who has material riches. they got a good job, they have good money, good house, good everything, but yet you look at them and you say, man, their life is so empty and meaningless. I may be physically, financially poor, but I'm smart enough to see that the wealth they have brings them no happiness and no joy in life. That's what this verse is saying, is the poor sees right through it. I was reading an article years ago that has always stuck with me. There was a certain uh, uh, athlete that was up for a contract negotiation, and the year before he made $14.7 million. $14.7 million. So he's up for his contract negotiation, and they offered him a contract. It was worth like about $21 million, I think is what it was going to be worth. And it was a little bit of a pay cut. And his comment was, when they offered him that contract, that he said he can't take it because he said that he had a family to feed, is what his comment was. So $14.7 million is what he made the year before, and he had a family to feed. So they came back to him the next day, and they said, are you serious? And he said, yeah. He goes, I got, I got kids to take care of. I, I can't lower that. And so the, this article went into a point, I can't remember the exact number, but in my mind, if I remember correctly, they figured out that with his kids and his wife, that family to feed, each one of them could have had a meal every day for $19,000. That's how much extra money he had. But the point was... He saw that he needed more. Now me, who is the poor of this earth, I look at him in verse 11 and I say, yeah, I, I, can, I have understanding. I can search him out. I see his heart by those actions. Even though I may not have the money that he has, I can see the emptiness and the meaninglessness of life at $14.7 and I got miles to feed. Isn't that just crazy? But yet the same thing still happens today. We see people caught up in the world and caught up in the system of the world, and that's all they care about is just the money. Boy, how many times have we said this out here? There's always going to be somebody who has more money than you, a nicer house than you, a nicer car than you, 
There's always going to be somebody as more. If you get yourself caught in that rat race, you will never end. Look at verse 6. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. God says it's better to have spiritual wealth than physical wealth. Verse 6 there. The poor who walks in his integrity. So do you want riches but have the perversity of it? Or do you want the poorness but the integrity? Now, God's not saying here that he's against money. We're going to get to that point in a little bit. But the point that he's trying to say here is very simply put, is what matters most is not your wealth in this world, it's your wealth in Christ that matters most. That's what matters. If you're, if you're taking notes, just write these verses down. Two quick verses. Ephesians 3.8 Ephesians 3, says this, I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and also Ephesians 2, verse 7, that the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. If you are born again and saved in Jesus, you are so wealthy today you don't even realize it. You have the eternal riches of a relationship with Christ. And that's what Proverbs is trying to tell you here in verse 6. You may be poor according to the earth, but you have integrity. You have the blessings of your walk with the Lord. Versus the things of the world that has riches, but they also have, verse 6, perversity. God says, check your motives. Look at verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Wow. Don't seek the wealth. Seek the blessings. Wealth just disappears. Seek the blessings of an eternal life in Christ. Those are the blessings. Let's build on this. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. He who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. 1 Timothy 6. First Timothy 6 is a great balance chapter because it has both sides of this uh, discussion on it. The side of wealth versus also the side of not letting the wealth control you. Now, once again, not trying to get into a prosperity message here, God says there's nothing wrong with having money. He says, I just don't want the money to control you. Because look here at 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that may lay hold on eternal life. You may be blessed with a good job, you may be blessed with a good income. You may be blessed in this world where financially things are well for you. God says, take that blessing in verses 17 through 19 and use that blessing that you have been given to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. You have been blessed with riches in this world. Great. He says, enjoy that, but at the same time of enjoying it, use verse 18, let them do good. Use that money that has been given to you because you have a greater opportunity now to impact the world for Christ. He says there's nothing wrong with that. He goes, but use it wisely. Because what happens is the wealth that you have, well, look at verse 17, nor to trust in uncertain riches. When I was in college, I shared with you before my degrees in finance, and one of the phrases they taught us is a phrase you may have heard before called paper millionaires or paper billionaires, people that on paper have a lot of money, but they don't have a lot of liquid assets. And so they live off this paper money, meaning they have a lot of stock that's worth a lot of things, etc. But when that stock price drops and they have nothing, that money that they all they had, that uncertain riches just totally disappears. 
God says, don't trust in it. You have a good job now, thank the Lord for that. You may not have a good job next year. You're in a blessed state right now, thank the Lord for that. You don't know what the next season of life is going to bring for you. You don't know. And so what God is saying here is don't trust in those uncertain riches. But if you have opportunity, verse 18, do good, ready to good, rich in good works, willing to share. He goes, store up the financial blessing. That's what you store up. That's what you focus on is the spiritual wealth, not the physical wealth. Now let's flip to the other side of this. Verse 6 of the same chapter. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and as certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with all these, we shall be content. Now are those verses not some of the most convicting verses you've ever read in your life? Living in the United States of America, the idea of godliness with contentment Great gain. Just being content with verse 8, food and clothing. You know, a couple weeks ago we made mention of this, and I'll, and I'll make mention of it again back there to the back to the left. Little bulletin board set up uh, the church, um, uh, I think it was a year and a half ago, bought uh, 10 Jesus wells. And if you're not familiar with those are, those are a well that is built over in Asia where they can have a fresh supply of water, which is very vital to them, obviously. But yet this well is usually put in the front of the church. So when the non-believers come to get water out of this well, there's a great verse in there that talks about Jesus being the water of life. And it's a great way to witness. So it's a beautiful picture of not only physical life of water, but also spiritual life of Christ. And just we had a, a meeting yesterday, and the church bought another five of those Jesus wells. And if you ever wonder, well, where does the money go that is given? I tell you, we try to put a lot, as much as we can back into missions work to see the world impacted for Christ. Great group, and I encourage you to go check it out. Now, the reason I bring this up is, you know, we're praying and thinking about this year of uh, maybe doing the building addition out here. We're, we're short on some space in the back with classrooms, kids, etc. So here we are praying and thinking about trying to do this building, and this building's going to cost, obviously, a lot of money. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You look at what people are doing over in other parts of the world. Wow, aren't we spoiled? I mean, we're, we're sitting here this morning, and you know we, we have a heated church with lights. How many of us complained about the cold this morning? Now, I don't know about you. For the first time, any place I've ever lived, I have a garage where I can park my car. So here's my life. I, I got up this morning, got into my car that's in my garage, backed my car out, had to get out for about two seconds to close the garage door because we don't have a garage door opener on my side. So I complained for those two seconds, got in my car. My car's warm, came out to church. I have to park. I park over there. I had to walk about 10 seconds into church, complained about that. I'm in heat now, and in roughly a couple hours, I'm going to walk out to my car, and my car will be cold. And I will complain about that. And then I'll get home, and I have to get out of my car to open up my garage door. I've asked Dawn if Elias is old enough now to open the garage door for me. I'll just honk the horn. And she said no. I will complain about anything I can complain about. I look at this verse of godliness with contentment is great gain. Wow, are we not spoiled? Are we not spoiled? Look at verse 7 one more time. We brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with we, these, we shall be content. Now we all sit here and say, Amen. Do we really mean that? When the things of this world are taken from you, how much do we whine and complain that we don't have what we want? A couple weeks ago, our TV broke. And, you know, like any typical male, I love TVs. Absolutely love them. I can go into Sears or Walmart and just stand in front of all their TVs. 
And the boys have had that same genetic trait, and we just love it. So the TV broke. Now, we don't have an, an exuberant TV by any means. It's like a 32-inch television, nothing huge. I've gone into people's houses where like the TV is like their fifth kid. You know, it's big. It sits there. And I, I'm joking, but I'm jealous. That's what it comes down to. Long story short, we needed a television. So we contacted um, uh, my sister-in-law, Lori, had a television. And it was a 19-inch. 19-inch. So we set up the 19-inch. And you can't read the bottom line. You know, it's like we were watching news the other day, and it's like I think schools are closing, but I can't tell. You know, it's just things going across the bottom. So long story short, we ended up trying to see if we can get the TV fixed. So we contacted the people. The TV's only a year old. They said, yeah, they can fix it. It's going to cost 500 bucks to fix the television. Now, I, that's over twice what the TV cost. And I have to ask them, how can it cost twice as much as what the TV even initially Cost. I don't understand that. So it looks like the TV's not going to get worked out. So we've been praying about it. It's like, you know what? I think we're going to have to look into getting a new television. So I got online, started looking, and, and you start with the 32 inch, you know, because that's what we've had. That's what works. But then you start seeing, well, they have a 37 inch. That's just a little bit more. And then for 50 bucks more, I can get up to a 40 inch. And so I start looking at this stuff, and it's like, wow, for just a little more, for just a little more, for just a little more, you can get bigger. Dawn has been reading all these books about the Amish lately. She wants to be, she, there's a point, just follow me, okay? I'm not just, I haven't lost it, okay? Just stay in James' world for a little bit. She's been reading these books about the Amish, and she wants to become Amish now. And I said, guten tag, go get them, tiger, you know, just visit every now and then. She says, the Amish don't have TVs. And I said, I've never seen the Amish smile either, you know, because <laughs> now I've really lost my point. But the point is, she likes the idea of just the simplicity. So she's been quoting this verse to me of godliness with contentment is a great gain. You don't need this. You don't need that. And it's amazing how we live in this world of what we think our needs are really wants. And we just came out of a season of Christmas where the focus is supposed to be the birth of Jesus, where it really becomes a lot of materialism. I mean, can you imagine going into Christmas and going to all your loved ones saying, you know what, I really believe verse 8, having food and clothing with these we shall be content. You look clothed. I see food on the table. I didn't buy you anything. No, we live in such a materialistic world. It's what we want, not what we need. God says, get us back to the basics of verses 6 through 8. That's the idea of, of poor versus being rich. It's not saying I'm taking a vow of poverty. It's really looking at yourself in verses 6 through 8 and saying, okay, Lord, can I be content? Godliness with contentment. And, and, and I told the 830 service, I said, if the only thing you get out of the first part of this message is verse 6 of First Timothy 6, I'm cool with that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's finish this up, though, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Have you not seen somebody chasing the carrot of this world and it just destroys them? They lose their family for, for overtime. They lose relationships to get that promotion. They lose this because they want to get ahead. God says, no, that desire for temptation is a snare and foolish and harmful lust will pull you down. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. Note, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Somebody can have a dollar in their pocket and be greedy. Somebody can have a dollar in their pocket and be sinfully selfish. It's not the amount of money, it's the heart. I have known people that have very well-paying jobs. They are very well off in this world financially, and they have some of the most humble hearts you've ever seen in having the gospel of Christ be spread. 
It's not the amount of money. It's the love of money that can be a danger and a snare. God says here in Proverbs 28, he goes, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't seek the wealth. Seek the spiritual blessings. Jump back now, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 28. God says you want to be blessed spiritually, not with things of the world. Proverbs 28, look at verse 22. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider the poverty that will come upon him. The poverty. Well, how can you have poverty if you're getting riches? Because you can become spiritually poor even though you're now becoming physically wealthy. Yeah, you've got what the world offered. And in that, you lost your soul, the Bible says. You lost that time with your family. You lost those relationships that were important. You've become spiritually poor. Verse 24, whoever robs his father or his mother and says it's no transgression, the same as companion to a destroyer. You guys have all been around family situations. It's amazing how families can start reacting when there's inheritances and wills, etc. involved. The worst comes out. What it really comes down to is verse 21. To show partiality is not good, because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. For a piece of bread, a man will transgress, meaning we will sell our soul for just that extra piece of bread. When that carrot is dangled in front of us in the world, we will make all types of compromises. God says, don't do it. Keep your focus on what is important. Keep your focus on the spiritual side of things, not the physical side of things. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Great verse on this, verse 27. This is God's perspective. He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. God says, watch out for the poor. Now, we've covered many times here in the book of Proverbs, once versus needs. Once versus needs. Because there's a lot of times people say, I need this. I am poor in that area. Help me. No, that's a want. That's not a need. God says those that are legitimately hurting and have needs in life, it is our responsibility as a body of Christ to meet those needs. That is a biblical concept. If you're taking notes, just write down these two passages here. The first one is James 2, James 2, verses 15 through 16. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Note the word they're needed. You see somebody in need, hey, God bless you. That's a need. That need has to be met. It's our responsibility to say we want to help meet that need. Next verse, if you're taking notes, 1 John 3. 1 John 3, verse 17. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Part of love is saying that you have a need and I want to help meet that need in whatever capacity I had. Uh, I had a real neat phone call about a month or so ago out here at church. Um, a couple from church called and said, hey, this has really been heavy on the heart, that there's a lot of people within the body and a lot of people within the community that are really having a hard time with needs being met. You know, They really wanted to set up this ministry that needs could be met in the community and the body is a great way to show the love of Jesus. And I said, what a wonderful idea. We've been praying for something like that, waiting for somebody to head that up, and what a neat blessing. I encourage you as a body... Keep that in the area in prayer. We're working out the details of that, and so hopefully something's going to be coming out of that here the next few weeks, of an opportunity to have needs be met, but most importantly, as those needs are being met, to tell them we're doing this in the love of Jesus, because that's really what it comes down to. That's Christianity 101, is getting out there and saying, hey, we want to help and point you in the right direction and help meet those needs, help meet those needs. So the first part of Proverbs 28 is not seeking the wealth of the world, 
but seeking the spiritual wealth of Jesus and realizing that's going to carry more weight than whatever number is in your bank account. That's the first focus here. The second half of Proverbs 28 kind of changes it a little bit. Look at verse 1 of Proverbs 28. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. See, now that's one of those contrast verses again. Like, like we said here at the beginning, there's eight verses in Proverbs 28 that deal with the idea of poor versus rich. But now we're doing another contrast verse. Bold as a lion versus fleeing. Now, I see people flee all the time. You know, people flee as soon as things don't work out the way they want in Christ, they flee. They flee from a time of prayer. They flee from a time of devotions. They flee from coming to church. They flee. They flee because they know they're not right in the Lord, so therefore they don't want to be around the things of the Lord. As I've shared with you numerous times out here, I don't know how many times I've gone up to somebody, run into them, and they haven't seen them in a while, and the first words out of my mouth are, hey, and before I can say anything else, the first thing they say is, hey, I'm going to be there Sunday. Don't worry about it. I'll be there Sunday. I didn't even bring it up. I just said, hey, the wicked flee when no one pursues. No one's chasing you, my friend. No one's making you go deeper in the Lord. So why are you running from the things of God? Why do we run from the things of God when no one's pursuing us? Is because we have this guilt. Verse 17, a man burdened with bloodshed will flee into a pit. See, we know when things aren't right with the Lord, we don't want to be around the things of the Lord. If my prayer life and devotions are not where they're supposed to be, well, I don't want to hear someone talk about how great their prayer life and devotions are. If I'm not out there spreading the gospel, and I know he should, I don't want to hear about people spreading the gospel. If I'm not happy with what God is doing in my life, and therefore he's not worthy of my praise, I don't want to come sit through praise. And you know what? If I'm not where I'm supposed to be spiritually, why would I want to come sit through church? Why would I want to minister? Why would I want to serve? It's amazing how we flee from the things of God when we're not right where we're supposed to be. The wicked flee when no one pursues. So the flip side to that is being bold as a lion. Because here's the problem. If you start running from the things of God, and we all know, brothers and sisters in the Lord, that have run from the things of God, their heart becomes hard. Look at verse 14. Happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Wow. Haven't you seen people's heart get hard? They used to be so on fire. They used to be so excited about the things of God. They used to serve. They used to just be so pumped about what God was doing. And their heart just becomes a little harder, a little harder, a little harder. And next thing you know, they're fleeing from things of the Lord. And so then we're trying to chase them down. And you know what? Their heart doesn't want to be caught. It's a sad place to be. So what's the flip side? The flip side is being bold, standing, fighting. That's the flip side of this. Instead of running from the fight, instead of running from the things of God, we sit there and we say, you know what, I, I want to go deeper. I want things to be different. Listen to these verses here. This is out of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. That phrase, stand, is repeated again and again and again. God says, are you fleeing from the fight? Or are you being like a roaring lion and standing in the fight? Because you're either doing one of the two. You either run from the fight or you're making a stand for the Lord. God says be bold like a lion and stand. 
Verse 4, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. That word contend means to cause strife, stir up. If you have NIV out there, it says resist. That's really kind of a weak wording because it's a stronger word than just resisting. This is the idea of fighting. We have lost this concept as Christians of fighting. Jude 3, when Jude is writing, and Jude 3 goes, I urge you to contend earnestly for the faith. That word in the New Testament is actually the same word to use as gladiators. In the pit, pulling out the sword, saying, I'm going to fight. Well, when's the last time as Christians we fought for the Lord? And I don't mean getting into a fight. I'm saying, when's the last time we took a stand on something and said, you know what, I'm going to swing the sword, and the sword is God's word. I want to get out there and I want to fight. I don't want to just lay over dead to the world. I just don't want to give up. I want to keep fighting and moving forward. I want to do that. Because the flip side, verse 18, whoever walks blamelessly will be saved, but he who is perverse in his ways will suddenly fall. Wow, don't you see a lot of people just falling? I mean, they're, they're, they're strong for a while, then they just fall. They fall off the face of the earth, they fall out of the fellowship, they fall out of the things of the Lord, and, and you sit there and you're like, what happened? They quit fighting. They quit. You know, it's easier not to fight, guys. You know, one of the hardest things to do is be a Christian. We said a few weeks ago in a message out here, if you want an easy life, don't become a Christian. Christianity is not easy. Jesus said the path is narrow. The path is difficult. The problem is we have summed up Christianity as this, oh, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and it's the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. And that's true. Me getting saved is the greatest thing that's ever happened into my life. But at the same time, as soon as I got saved, Ephesians chapter 6, it has now become a war. And now... You're on the front lines of Christianity, and it's a fight left and right. Some of you, it's a struggle every day. You are contending. You know how hard it is, and you want to give up. That's why the Bible says don't grow weary while doing good. Sometimes I don't want to be the lion. I don't want to be the bold lion. I want to, I want to flee. It's easier to flee. It's easier to run from the fight. But God says take a stand. Why don't we like to take a stand? Look at verse 23. He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. As we've heard said recently, no one likes to rebuke somebody, no one likes to be rebuked. It is much easier in verse 23 to flatter somebody. Hey, I just think you're wonderful and I think you're doing great. It's just so great to see you. Oh, ignore all the sin in your life. It's okay. I just think it's great to see you. No one wants to rebuke or be rebuked. No one likes that. But yet if we love somebody enough, aren't we willing to be honest with them? See, here's the balance of rebuke. Remember it says in Ephesians 4 that you're supposed to speak the truth in love. I've run into Christians that have truth down pat. There's no, no doubt about that, but they have no love. And I've run into Christians that have love down pat, but they have no truth. See, if you just always are speaking truth without love, you're just beating people over the head. If you're always speaking love without truth, well, you've become so gushy that the idea of truth has just now gone out the window. There's a balance there of speaking the truth in love. I love you enough to tell you the truth, and this is what I'm concerned about. And I'm taking a stand as a lion to tell you that. And I realize that that may cause problems. But yet I want to contend for the faith because we care enough about people to say, I'm concerned about you. But yet a lot of times we just let things go and we flatter with our lips. Oh boy, let's not do that. Let's take a stand realizing there's going to be ramifications. We like to flee. 
We like to hide from things. The truth hurts. Just last night, we were, I was sitting in the living room, and uh, the boys were eating apples. Judah had an apple. Judah was four. Walks through the living room to take his apple back to the kitchen. As he's walking through the living room, I'm sitting there on the couch. He walks backwards with his hands behind his back, and he walks like this <laughs> so I can never see what's going on. I said, Judah, what you got? He goes, I got my apple. I said, let, let, me, see, let me see your apple. He goes, hold on a second. He goes into the kitchen. Comes back out without the apple. I said, Judah, let me see your apple. And he goes, it's in the kitchen if you want to see it, and he leaves. I said, no, no, go get the apple, come back. He gets the apple, and he has it behind his back. I said, show me your apple. And his apple is only half eaten. You know, that's one of Dawn's big things. She hates food being wasted, and she's like, apple has to be eaten. You have to finish that up, bud. You just can't throw it away like that. Why did he do that? Verse 1, the wicked flee when no one pursues. He had a guilty conscience, even though we didn't even know what was going on. Haven't we all been that way? Oh, boy, I don't want anybody to see what I'm like here right now, so I'm just going to slowly back away. Boy, let's just be bold. Realize that things aren't right. Why, why do we do that? Why don't we stand? Why do we hide? Verse 12, when the righteous rejoice, there is great glory, but when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. Haven't you ever seen that sometimes in history? Sometimes when an evil has come upon, Christianity just kind of disappears. Boy, we hide. We have a tendency. And the same thing happens just not in culture, but in life. You're going to go into work tomorrow or maybe today or whenever, and subjects are going to come up that are inappropriate. And so what do we do as Christians? We just hide. Boy, what happened to being bold as a lion? What happened to making that stand and saying, Lord, I'm not backing down. I'm not looking for a fight, but I'm going to contend earnestly for the faith. Turn, if you will, real quick to John 3. Let's talk about hiding a little bit. John 3. John 3 is probably one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. It's arguably the most famous verse in the Bible. Obviously, John 3.16. And I think it's one of the most important verses about theology in the Bible. John 3.3, 3, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But what I want to talk about here in John 3 is the background before any of this happens. Look at John 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I said to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then they get into this great discourse about salvation. Wonderful chapter. I encourage you to read it. But did you notice in verse 2, this man came to Jesus by Night. Now, why did he come at night? Because he didn't want to see, be seen with Jesus during the day. It's that simple. This man was a, a ruler, a man of authority in the Jews. He was a Pharisee. He had, he had power. He had prestige. He didn't want to hang out with Christ. But yet he was interested. Interested enough that he wanted to meet Jesus. But what did he have to do? Verse 2, he has to come at night. I wonder how many of us here, and this is not a question to condemn you, it's a question to really seriously look at yourselves, and I look at myself and I ask this, I wonder how many of us are secret disciples of Jesus? Oh, I'm a great Christian at night. And it's just me and Jesus alone. Oh, yeah, I'm strong and mighty in the Lord. But you get me in the daylight in the public, I just start to back away. Don't want to make a big deal about stuff. I don't want to push my religion. I don't, I don't, I don't want to cause problems. I'm really good, though, verse 2, of meeting Jesus at night. See, here's the thing about the secret disciples. God loves them. But 
What good are we doing for the kingdom of God when we just are meeting Jesus at night? There has to come a time and a place where you decide to make a stand and you said, I'm going to be, verse 1 of Proverbs 28, bold as a lion. Turn, if we will, now to John 19. John 19. Let's see what happens with Nicodemus at the end of his life. John 19. This is after Jesus was killed on the cross. John 19, verse 38. It says, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who had first come to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen and spices, as is the custom of the Jews is to bury. See, here's the thing about Nicodemus. We can pick on him for John 3, for being the secret disciple at night. But when push came to shove in John 19, he took a stand. This is a big stand, guys. You have to understand the ramifications of this. Jesus was just killed. Okay? The followers of Christ, the apostles, what did they do when Jesus was on the cross? They fled. They ran. So Jesus' hand-picked guys... To, to write the New Testament and to really take the gospel into the uttermost parts of the world, fled when the going got tough. Nicodemus, who was the secret guy in John 3 that only could meet Jesus at night, now comes during the day and takes this very bold stand to say, I, I want his body. He outed himself as a disciple of Christ. So did Joseph of Arimathea. Here's the point. You may have been the secret nighttime disciple numerous times in your life. I'm telling you, God will give you another opportunity to make a bold stand sometime. He will. And when God gives you that opportunity to take a bold stand, be bold as a lion and don't back down. Take that stand. Nicodemus did. Nicodemus, the first time, would only meet you at night. John 3, John 19. No, I'm asking for the body of Jesus. That is a huge political, social, and religious stand that he just took right there to say, I am supporting this man by saying, I'm going to help bury this man. That's a big, big deal. We sometimes flee. God says, it's time to stop running. It's time to start fighting. Be bold as a lion. Take your stand. Let's jump back now and start finishing this up. I want to be stronger, okay? I want to go deeper in the Lord. What do I do? We'll look at verse 5. Evil men do not understand justice. Those who seek the Lord understand all. Look at that word seek. Anytime the word, word seek comes up in the Bible, we always say the word seek denotes effort. You want to be stronger and closer to the Lord, then there's effort that needs to be put into that. If you're taking notes, write down these two verses. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. You want to go deeper in your walk with the Lord, then you need to draw near to him. You need to put effort in that. God's not going to hide from you. But if you want to go deeper in the Lord, what effort are you putting into it? A lot of times people come up and say, I feel so empty. I feel so spiritually pointless. Well, are you drawing near to the Lord? Because God promises if you draw near to the Lord, He will draw near to you. Are you in the Word? Because the Word promises in Romans 10, 17 that if you are in the Word, your faith will grow and you'll grow deeper. Well, I'm really not doing anything. Well, then you're probably going to feel empty. You're probably going to feel pointless because that's the result of not seeking. We say this a lot out here. If you feel empty, it comes down to the two W's, worship and witness. God has created you for two things. First one is to give 
him the glory as a heart of worship. And I don't mean worship just at 8.30 or 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I mean throughout your week, it is a week of worship where God gets the glory for what he has done and also for just being God. So often we feel like God gets worship because of this is what he's done. So Lord, thank you for what you've done. God gets worship for just being God. So worship is the first W. The second W is witness. The reason you're on this earth is to tell other people about Christ. If you don't have a heart of worship and if you don't have a heart of witnessing, you probably are going to feel empty. If you really feel your life is just to get up and go to work and come home, what a meaningless, pointless life. Your life is to get out there and change the world for Jesus for him. That's the purpose of why you're here. Well, I, I, I still feel empty. Look at Proverbs 28, verse 9. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Well, let's just be honest. Do you feel empty because maybe there's some unconfessed sin in your life? Maybe you know there's things spiritually not the way you're supposed to be, and I'm not trying to say this stuff to knock you down or tear you down, but this is just a fact. If you're not spiritually where you're supposed to be with the Lord, you are going to feel empty. Look at verse 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper. Whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Look at verse 25. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts the Lord will be prospered. Let's just be honest. Is there sin in your life that you know is wrong? Are you too proud to admit that? See, a lot of times I run into people that are not happy where they're at spiritually. And they know there's things in their life that needs to change. But verse 25, they're too proud to make those changes. Wow. What a tough spot to be in. What a tough spot to be in. You know, in Isaiah 59, God says, it's not that I'm not hearing your prayers. He goes, your sin has caused a separation between you and me. He hears the prayers. He goes, it's just this sin causes a separation. It's almost like you cry out to the Lord, Lord, help me. And God says, I'd love to help you. But let's deal with the sin issue first, and then I'll help you. Come on, anybody that's ever been in a relationship, anybody that's ever been married, you know if you have a little spit with your spouse, there's a break in the relationship for a while. You have to go back and repair that bridge before things become okay again. You know, Dawn and I have arguments, we have disagreements. We're still married, we still love each other, but there's a break in the fellowship. Same thing happens spiritually. You have sin in your life, I have sin in my life, and I'm not confessing that, I'm allowing that sin to harbor, that anger, that resentment, that bitterness, whatever it is. God says, I still love you. He goes, but until this area is taken care of, there's going to be a block in the relationship, and we have to deal with this. Let's not be so proud, verse 25, that we can't confess, verse 13, which then helps us to do what? Verse 5, seek the Lord. Let's finish this up. Verse 5, those who seek the Lord understand all. God says, I want you to have wisdom. I want you to have understanding. That's how we're going through Proverbs. Proverbs is the book of wisdom, the book of understanding. God says, I want you to have that wisdom and understanding so you can make godly choices now, but also have wisdom and understanding to make good godly choices the next time they arise. You seek the Lord for wisdom now knowing that choices and decisions will come later in life. And Lord, give me wisdom. What do you want me to do? How can I live my life for you? Proverbs 28 has got two main topics there. Poor versus rich. There's the physicality of being poor and the physicality of being rich. But most importantly, there's the spiritualness of this. Are we rich in Christ? You know, one of the worship songs we did this morning has this great line I wrote down uh, when, the, when it was going on. It was, beyond all wealth, all the treasures of the earth. 
See, that's what your relationship with Jesus is. It's, it's more valuable than anything this world has to offer. What a blessing it is. Let's not lose focus of that. And then we have that blessing and that relationship with Christ. Let's go back and do verse 1 again. Let's be bold. Lord, I want to take a stand for you. Lord, I want, I want things to be different in my life. I want things to be different in, in my workplace, my witness, my marriage, my relationships. I want to be bold and take a stand for you. Because that's what it comes down to. Come on, if you want to come forward here for the final song. Let's pray.